A young boy out camping with his friends and family tells them a bizarre story of a past life. And then we travel back to the year 1971 and visit a movie theater in San Francisco. A man has made a movie and it is premiering tonight. But the movie wasn't made to entertain people. It was made to catch a serial killer. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I just ate a bag of Halloween candy. (laughs) Oh, my tummy hurts. And I got a little bit of sugar in me. I got a lot of sugar in me. I'm all super bloated now. (laughs) Anyways, I'm just like laying there like Pearl from Blade. I'm just in front of a bank of computers right now. I'm just hitting buttons lazily. And while I'm doing that, one of our legacy Patreons happens to walk in. He's like, why is it so dark in here? Why is it so spooky? What happened to you? Alexander Nestico. Alexander Nestico, one of our legacy Patreons. He's like, can I turn on the light? Yeah, yeah. Just, it's blinding. It blinds me. Ugh, I feel so bloated. Alexander has the privilege of pushing me around in a wheelbarrow for the rest of this episode. He is going to be our captain, our pilot, and our wheelbarrow pusher this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That also really helps out a lot. Alexander, hope you got your, your back brace on. Push me, push me, young man, into the Dead Rabbit rowboat. Then prepare to row me across the Pacific Ocean. We are headed to Russia. I'm just laying there, and we're rowing out. We're headed to Volgograd, Russia, and it's the year 1996, and we walk into this maternity ward, and there's a little baby in a box. (laughs) Not a box, that's grim. A little baby in, like, a little crib. Um, You know, like, they have lines of cribs in maternity ward. You've seen them in movies, or maybe you've been in one. We've all been in them, actually, but we were babies. But maybe you've been in one recently, I don't know. Anyways, there's a, the point is, is that we're in a maternity ward, and we see a little baby dude just kind of going, me, me, making baby noises. And we look at him, and we're like, that's an interesting looking kid. Like, I figured that kid, <laughs> I figured that kid has something to do with this story, obviously, because I'm talking about it. And we follow the kid home. <laughs> this sounds grim, but it's not. We follow the kid home. His name is Boris Kipri Ivanovich, and he's only been alive for two weeks. That's crazy, dude. A little baby has been alive on this planet for 14 days. I mean, that happens all the time. Um, so that's not so amazing. But it's actually pretty amazing when you look at a baby, you're like, dude, you just, you like just came out of, of a human. And now you're like chilling here. Like babies are trippy. Babies are super weird. But this whole segment's not about how weird I think babies are. Because I just find them so bizarre. Little baby people. This baby is weird for other reasons. So we're hanging out in this dude's house, and we see this little two-year-old Boris, and he's just sitting there, and his head is perfectly stable. Now you're like, Jason, <laughs> where are you going with this? My head's perfectly stable. Everyone's head is perfectly stable. And you're right. However, not when you're two weeks old. Normally, it takes a baby two to four months to be able to develop the neck muscles so it's perfectly stable. But little Boris here, his neck, he's looking around. He's scanning the room. That's weird. That's the whole story. Okay, so our next story. No, I'm just joking. He's this little dude. He can hold up his head. His mom realizes there's something odd about him because that's not normal. By the time he was 18 months old, he could 
read and draw. So he's like drawing pictures of stuff. Um, they don't say how good of an artist he is. He could have sucked. He could have been terrible at it. They're like, oh, that's really cool. He can draw. Are you going to hang this up in your fridge? No, this is awful. This is horrible. But it's cool that he can draw. Not that he can draw well, but he can read. He's reading Dr. Seuss books and stuff like that. But wait, how could he talk? Could he talk at 18 months? Is that when babies talk? Anyways, the point is, is that I guess you're not supposed to be able to read or draw at 18 months. They also noticed as he was getting older, he would know a lot about stars and star systems and constellations, even though they never really told him anything about that. He's like, me draw you a picture? They're like, no, 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 don't draw us a picture. We, we know what you're talking about. He's like, but I like drawing. They're like hiding the crowns from him. He draws these abominations. So when Boris is around the age of seven, his family and family friends, they all go camping. They go on this little camping trip. Boris is sitting there throwing pine cones into the fire. Everyone's just kind of sitting around having a good time. Boris tells this story to the people closest to him. A little seven-year-old boy turns to his left with a super strong neck, turns to his right, 180 degrees perfectly, and goes, now that you have all gathered here, my friends and family, I want to tell you who I really am. I'm from Mars. Well, I used to be from Mars. He's throwing another pine cone into the fire for dramatic effect. He tells them this story thousands of years ago. Mars was once populated by an advanced civilization. <laughs> Boris is flying a little space car, leaving behind one gilded city for the next. The entire planet was beautiful, with civilized cities popping up here and there across the landscape. Boris was only 14 years old when he was trained in the art of warfare. <laughs> Boris looks to his left with his alien neck, looks to his right. He's flying with a fleet of Martian jet fighters. He said that Martians would live to be incredibly old, but they only looked as old as a 35-year-old human would look. The way he's describing it, it's not like they were gray aliens or anything like that. They appeared to be humanoid. However, they had one big difference between humans and Martians. But everything else, he didn't talk so much about alien biology. They're very, very human-like. They have these vast cities. They would age to about the age 35, and then they would stop aging, but they would live much longer than that. They had mastered the way to stop aging because they didn't breathe in as much oxygen as we do. But a lot of times their vehicles had a tube inside of them that you would get in, and it was pure carbon dioxide. You would breathe it in, and then expel oxygen. Or maybe you didn't have any oxygen. Maybe they just loved carbon dioxide so much they just went, <gasps> and they held their breath for the next 500 years. But I don't think they even had much oxygen on Mars even back then. They would breathe in primarily carbon dioxide. And that's what kept them young and long-lived. He turns to the people next to him at the fire, and he goes, you see, oxygen is poison." And that's what actually causes humans on Earth to get old and die. It's oxygen. On Mars, we didn't have that problem. He said that the Martian race had actually mastered interstellar travel. They used portals to go through these things. However, they had two types of vehicles they could also use to fly around. One was the flying saucer. That was used to travel from planet to planet and from star system to star system. But the triangle UFOs people see those are scout ships. Small distance ships. 
Mars to the moon, moon to Earth, things like that. You never see a triangle in deep space. But he wasn't really skilled in either of those things. He was trained as a jet fighter, as a Martian fighter pilot. He's still flying over the vast landscape of Mars with a battalion headed towards an unknown target. He said that even though they appeared to be human, the one trait that they had different were that their fingers were incredibly long. They had actually evolved to be able to use their spacecraft more efficiently. Now, let me pause the story for a second. That's not how that works, right? Generally, you would build a vehicle. We don't build, like, space shuttles and be like, hope you're an octopus, dude. They're like, what? They're like, yeah, you would be able to pilot the shuttle way better if you were an octopus. But I'm not an octopus. Yeah, but if you were, maybe you'll evolve at some point while you're flying the space shuttle. Maybe that'll work. But whatever, whatever. I mean, he's already reincarnated from Mars. I thought that was, out of everything, the most unbelievable part of the story. But anyways, they were normally humanoid people. They just had really long fingers. Pushing all these buttons and stuff like that. They are able to do that. Or they could have just built one with no buttons, voice command. But they didn't, because they're Martians. So why is this advanced society that has mastered interstellar travel, that is far older than anything on Earth, all of this would have happened, when I said thousands of ago, I'm talking like 10,000 years ago, long before humanity was even thinking that there were other planets out there. They just saw twinkling lights. <laughs> the jet fighter battalion is flying through a ridge. It crests the mountaintop and sees their rival country in their crosshairs. Boris, 14-year-old Martian, flips on his weapon systems, and opens fire on the city. People are running up. All the babies are holding their neck up looking. These ships are flying over the city. They're coming back for another run. Martian alarms go off. They sound just like Earth alarms, but they're backwards. So, There's a bunch of wolves running around, too. That city's Martian fighters are getting up in their ships, getting blowing up while they're even trying to take off their runway. Extra long fingers just flying all over the place from people getting blown up. Boris and his battalion struck a devastating blow into their rivals' territory. They head back for a victorious celebration. But all wars have to come to an end. They either end with peace treaties... Or the fact that there's no life visible on Mars today, it ended like this. The rival city-states of Mars had amassed their own nuclear weapons. And Boris, all of his friends, all of his family, all of his countrymen died in the nuclear holocaust before we even fashioned the first spear here on Earth. Boris is sitting around the campfire, poking at it with a stick. He tells this story to his friends and family. I find this very fascinating because on the one hand, we've talked about people who say they reincarnated. I always talk about that guy who said he's from Atlantis and things like that. This is an interesting story because he tells this to his friends and family. He's not telling it to a reporter. He's telling it to people he trusts. And people laugh at him at the campfire. He's a seven-year-old boy telling the story of this great Martian war. He's also telling this story in 2003. So talking about triangles and saucers, obviously those UFOs have been seen for decades. 
And by 2003, the Iron Curtain had fallen, and we started to get a lot of UFO reports coming out of um, Eastern Europe, and they started getting our reports as well. But for a seven-year-old to know that stuff, it's not impossible. Now, there also is a thing we have to look at of retconning, is that someone could easily tell the story today and say, I was seven years old when that first happened. So it could be completely made up. It could 100% be completely made up, but... Continuing with the narrative, he tells the story to his friends and family. People are kind of chuckling at it. They don't really believe him. It is unbelievable. And that should have been the end of it. But what happened was when they go, when the vacation's over and they go back to town, people start making fun of him in town. The friends and the family, who probably should have just kept it to themselves, they thought it was kind of wacky. It's not like they went back to town and go, hey, this kid told us this weird story. They were actively making fun of this kid. For weaving such a bizarre story. And so for a while he didn't want that mockery. Nowadays, like there are photos of him. He was born in 1996. So what would that make him right now? That'd make him only about 24 years old. So still, that's right. That's <laughs> Math is right, right? I'm not from Mars. I'm not really good at math. But he's only about 24 years old. Now again, he could be retconning it. He could obviously have come up with a story two years ago and built this whole backstory. But I think it's an interesting setup we take the narrative at face value where he wasn't out to get any publicity. He was just kind of felt comfortable to share this story. That's not even the end of it. There's a couple key interesting factors here. One, he said that there's a way for us to avoid the same fate as the Martians. He said that the Sphinx, I know this is where it starts to get kind of goofy again, right? That story in and of itself, the reincarnated Martian story, I find fascinating. But then he says, the Sphinx has some sort of super secret tech in it. And there's a lever behind one of its ears. He doesn't, and this is where it starts to get interesting again, right? You kind of lost me when you introduced the Egyptian mythological part, because that's so tropish. That's so generic. But anyways, he said that behind one of the Sphinx ears, there's a lever or a mechanism that if you press it, this thing will open up. And it will help us from destroying ourselves. And he also said the Great Pyramid of Giza has something in it as well that will help us. But he doesn't know how to get that one. So the question you would ask, and the question people have asked him, so what's in the Sphinx, bro? Like, you know how to access it. What's in there? And he goes, I don't know. I just know, like, there's a button behind its ear or something like that. I'm like, what? So wait, you know there's a button there, but you don't know what's in it. And he's like, no, I don't know what's in it. I just know that there's something to do with it. And they go, well, okay, what's in the, the Great Pyramid of Giza? He's like, I don't know. I have no idea. Now, this is interesting because I've used this before as well, and it, it could be a crutch, I'm not for sure, but if you're making it up, the answer would be simply easy to make up. I actually have more respect for people who go, so you're reincarnated from Atlantis. What was the monetary system like there? Do you remember that? And that guy who says he's half Atlantean or from Atlantis or whatever, if he went, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember ever spending money. I was a really young kid. Like, do you remember how money worked when you were seven? If you died when you were seven, that got dark quick. And if someone from the future asked you how was money in the 21st century, you'd be like, what? I was seven. But there's always an answer. Oh, no, monetary. There was no money. Everything was perfect. Everything it was super good. And you just got up and, like, seashells fell in your lap. And you ate seashells. And everything was built out of seashells. And da-da-da-da. When people are making it up, they have an answer for everything. If you took someone... If you took someone who was seven years old... Or four, he was 14 when all this... When he died in Mars. But if you took someone who was 14 years old now... And teleported him... 
10,000 years in the future, and they asked him, hey, so uh, who won the election? He's like, there was an election? What are you talking, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm seven years old. Ask me about Fortnite. They're like, what? What's Fortnite? So you would be limited to the information you'd have access to. I, I think it's more interesting when people who weave these tales say, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. But he also, there's also two other interesting things coming from this. This is going a lot longer than I thought it was going to go, but one, he says that he's a reincarnated alien. So that opens up a whole host of things because you almost want to think like reincarnation, if it exists, is a localized phenomenon. Like I may die and become a grasshopper and then become a cow and then become like a lily pad. But it's weird to think that I may die and become a cow on some alien planet a billion miles away. Or you die and then you're reincarnated as an amoeba on a meteorite floating around in the middle of nowhere. It's weird to think of reincarnation past the bounds of Earth. So that even opens up a can of worms. Like, is reincarnation geographically based? Is Mars close enough that if you died on Mars, you'd get reincarnated on Earth? It's a, there's a whole bunch of interesting questions there. But then, oxygen is poison. Now, again, he's seven years old. If we take the story at face value, and he told his story when he was seven years old, oxygen is poison is actually on the conspiracy theory iceberg. It's been around for a while that people believe oxygen actually kills you. Alexander, grab that wheelbarrow and then call in that carpenter copter. You're going to push me onto that carpenter copter come hell or high water. I am now on board. We are headed out to the underground. <laughs> Helicopters flying. Alexander, I'm taking up the whole thing. Everyone's pressed up against the windows. Alexander, though, is able to fly us away from Mars, and he sees this cave in the middle of a mountainside back on Earth. (laughs) Helicopters flying through this cave system. We land in the middle of this cave, and we see a bunch of people walking around. A bunch of young, healthy, fit people. And then there's us. And then there's us. The world's most sugary man pushed inside of a carpenter copter. Roll me out like uh, Violet from Willy Wonka. And then the rest of you just get off with free will and legs that work. Uh, everyone jumps back off the carpenter copter. And we're, wa- we're looking at all these people. They're super fit. The dudes are wearing tank tops and shorts. And the girls are uh, <laughs> wearing tank tops and shorts. It's a beautiful society. Everyone's super healthy. And then one of these people walk up to us and they just, they're beautiful. And they go, whoa, what are you guys doing here? Um, You guys look like a bunch of circus freaks, as opposed to us. Look how great we look. And I'm like, hey, don't talk to my buddies like that. Secondly, how do you look so good? And they go, the secret is, and then we realize it's probably been about, I don't know, 45 seconds, a minute. And there's no oxygen in this cave. Yet somehow we're able to survive. We are in the headquarters of undergroundwellness.com. And they are one of the supporters of the belief that oxygen is poison. It's on the conspiracy theory iceberg. We'll save the Zodiac Killer story for tomorrow because I want to spend some time on this. I didn't know that last segment was going to run so long. So if you're a huge fan of the Zodiac Killer, shame on you because he's a lame serial killer. They're all lame, but he's one of the lamest. We'll get into that tomorrow. But let us breathe in this pure carbon dioxide and we feel ourselves getting stronger. We feel our bodies becoming healthier. Our vision clears up. And then all of a sudden we're standing there and all of our clothes are gone now. We're wearing shorts and tank tops. We're like, what? This is weird. 
Oxygen is poison goes like this. 95% of the oxygen we breathe in goes to the mitochondria. That's the powerhouse of the cell. So you got a little cell inside you, and inside the cell is the mitochondria. So when you breathe in, you're fueling the mitochondria in your body. But only 95%, again, I'm not saying this is true, but only 95% of the oxygen you breathe actually goes to fuel the mitochondria. The other 5% becomes this thing known as free radicals. They're little dudes inside your body, little mohawks, little pierced ears, and they're walking around and they are like got little bats and they're beating up the apple stands in your body. They float around in your liver. They're like, hey, nice liver here. It would be horrible if I started bashing stuff up. And they're like, no, please. It's the Purple Dragon Gang. They're back. And they're kicking over stuff in your liver. 5% of all the oxygen you breathe, and you breathe a lot of it, becomes free radicals, and they just float around in your body, and they start beating you up from the inside. The free radical, again, I'm not saying, this is the last time I'm going to say this, but everything from here forward, I don't believe is true. So the free radicals in this theory, they're walking around, they're pushing over old ladies inside your body, and that's what causes parts of your body to go haywire. It gums up your system, uh, damages your DNA, and can uh, be one of the causes of cancer. It can actually also burn through your membranes to cause Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's disease, stuff like that. So this is what the underground wellness oxygen is poison conspiracy people believe. That 5% of all the oxygen you breathe is actually doing damage to you. They also say, one of their theories is this, one of their theories is this, when someone is completely deprived of oxygen, let's say you're completely deprived of oxygen, whatever scenario it takes, your body's there, your head's not chopped off or anything like that, but you've suffocated, you have no oxygen in you. What they do is they take you to the hospital and they give you oxygen and brings you back to life. Now, generally, if you've been without oxygen for three minutes, it starts to cause brain damage, and you can become brain dead. Everything else is fine, but your brain is dead. People who believe oxygen is poison believes that brain death is caused by giving you oxygen. So if you have no oxygen and you're turning blue, instead of putting a mask on somebody and spraying a bunch of oxygen in their face, you need to slowly, slowly give them a little, little bit of oxygen. And they said if you slowly raise the oxygen level, they'll turn out fine. So you could be three to four minutes with no oxygen and super blue and stuff. And then you give them a little bit of oxygen. Give them a little bit of that sweet, sweet oxygen. You'll be fine. They also say that breathing can make it harder for you to breathe. This is an interesting one. Oxygen makes it harder for you to breathe. I remember looking at that and I was like, what? When you have COPD, what happens is the membranes, little bubbles inside your lungs, they fill up with air and then they deflate. And that helps filter out air and it just kind of helps you breathe in general. COPD is where the sacs in your lungs, they're little tiny bubble sacs in your lungs, start to get dis- like distorted. They start to get big and puffy. It's like a balloon. If you blow a balloon up and then you open the little hole nozzle thingy, all the air will rush out. But you know how if you take a bigger balloon and you blow it up and then you let it out, the bag will hang and there'll still be some air in the bottom of the balloon. Does that make sense? Like if you have a little balloon, it'll all immediately go out. But the bigger the balloon, you blow it up, it'll sag down like clam chowder in a paper bag. And there, it, it, you, there, there will still be some left. That's what COPD is. 
your little sacs in your lungs don't completely deflate anymore. They're bigger, and so only some of the air comes out. If you get enough of those semi-inflated bags in your lungs that are technically still full of oxygen, it makes it harder for you to breathe. There's less lung capacity in there because more of it's taken up by all of these little bags. Yes, you can make the claim oxygen makes it harder for you to breathe, but you see all those steps in the middle there? Oxygen itself does not cause the sacs to expand and distort and get grody and not work. That's not oxygen doing that. Those are other things going on in your body. Because otherwise, then everyone would have COPD. But it's not. So, you can make the claim oxygen makes it harder for you to breathe. Oxygen causes cancer. But that's you're missing so many steps in the middle. It's the same thing as saying walking causes you to fall off cliffs. Yes, I would say probably 99% of all the people falling off cliffs <laughs> were walking at some point and they fell off the cliff. But then you can't say, well, walking kills you. Because most people who die were walking at some point right before they died. That's the same logic there. Watch, now there'll be a conspiracy theory about how everybody who walks... It's the, same, it's the exact same thing. Doing A causes X... But there's so many steps missing there. But there's a huge group of people who believe this. Now, we're in the underground caves because when I read that this was on a website called undergroundwellness.com, it's just one website. There's tons of people who believe this. I imagine, I was like, oh, dude, these people believe this so much. They're actually hiding underground in giant oxygen-depleted cities. No, it meant underground wellness like... These are the medical tips that your doctor doesn't want you to know. Get that doctor. He just wants you to become brain dead and blue. He's a big fan of the Smurfs. He's a big fan of Eiffel 65. He wants you to get blue, bro. But here at Underground Wellness, we teach you the stuff that they don't want you to know. Like, like oxygen kills you. And another weird thing they always say, because I read a couple sites on this, they always make a statement similar to this. How does oxygen kill? The same way metal rusts and a half-eaten apple turns brown by a process termed oxidation or oxidative stress. Yes, oxygen turns steel brown. Steel can survive 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm not steel. And I, I understand, like, there are things steel can do that I can't. And there are things that I can do that steel can't. And I can do a <laughs> way lot more than a half-eaten apple. I understand in the mind they're thinking, whoa, if oxygen can destroy something as hard as steel, imagine what it could do to me because I'm soft and fleshy. That's not the way that it works. It's observational science, but it's based on a bad observation. It's a bizarre comparison between the two. But this theory is very popular. It's one of those things like sun gazing. I will say this. These people don't seem to be saying, well, that's it. No oxygen for me. <gasps> like, there's, this is a weird one because there's no fix for it. People who believe in sun gazing are like, yeah, you look at the sun for like, a, what was it, like 10 seconds the first week. And then 15 seconds. Then Don't do that, by the way. But they have this thing. It's supposed to open your third eye and all that stuff. Ormus, where you like pee in a cup and you separate the gold out of your urine. I covered that one a long time ago. 
You drink it for health benefits. Like, you're not healthy, but if you drink the Ormus, that'll make you healthy. There's no fix to this oxygen thing. I guess you could probably hang out in a chamber, like a Michael Jackson-esque hyperbaric chamber. That might help you. But there's really no fix for this one. It's like telling someone you're going to die from breathing, and then people go, what can I do to stop that? And they're like, well... You can stop breathing, but that's just going to kill you quicker. This is a weird one because they're telling you something's going on. But as far as I could tell, there's no long-term fix for it. I think it's just limit your oxygen exposure. This sounds fake, right? This sounds like something someone made up in 1952 as a joke. The world's first troll. The world's first... I'm going to make up a conspiracy theory and see how many people can buy it. So he makes up the idea that oxygen is poison. But people still talk about it today. But what is so weird about this whole combination of things is I, I've i heard oxygen is poison for the longest time. It's actually not hard to research. I didn't cover it on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg because it wasn't obscure at all. I'd been hearing it in and out of the Conspiracy Theory circles for a long time. But I researched this stuff, and I researched this stuff for fun. How in the world did a seven-year-old boy in Russia know about this conspiracy theory. It's not impossible that in 2003, when this kid told this story, it's not impossible that he'd come across this at some point. But it's so, it's such a bizarre detail in his story of Martian colonies. And it's almost a throwaway line. It's not even integral to the plot of the story. It's, I was born on Mars. There was this great Martian war. We want, I forgot to, he, one of the things was like, we're here. Some of the Martians have been reincarnated on Earth to prevent Earth from having a nuclear holocaust. Like, we're here to help change the world and stuff like that. So you have this narrative thread. And then just in the middle of it, oh, by the way, oxygen's poison. That's how we are able to live so long. We would limit our oxygen as much as possible. And we actually, when we were traveling long distances, we'd be in only carbon dioxide environments. It's weird that this boy crafting this story throws in an element from a hippy-dippy underground wellness conspiracy theory. They didn't invent the conspiracy theory, but it's in that holistic realm, oxygen is poison, that this boy in Russia telling the story plucks that detail out of the ether and puts it in to explain why Martians live so long. Now, I don't think oxygen is poisonous. I do think... I don't, I don't want to be controversial or anything, but I do think oxygen is required for a life on this planet. Please, please don't unsubscribe. I know that's going to piss a lot of people off, but I do believe that you need to breathe in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide to live. But there are a lot of people who would disagree with me on that or disagree with me at least on how much oxygen we actually need. And that's fine. We can have those disagreements. We can have those disagreements until you're blue in the face. But all all that aside, I find it so fascinating that it's also a part of this boy's Martian story. I guess we will actually know the truth someday on this one. Just buy a couple tickets, fly out to Egypt, get an incredibly long ladder, and start digging around on the Sphinx's ear. According to Boris, what's in that Sphinx will save the world. Now, he believed that he was one of the people who would usher in a new age. But who knows? That person may be you if you find that switch behind the Sphinx's ear. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.